views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil. When the feast that feeds you starves our father's children. When snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up, no matter if the prize is Welcome to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate an issue of 21st century legalized slavery. Currently hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas with Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed and Millions for Prisoners Human Rights Coalition's communications manager Leila Aziz. Sister Leila will be taking tonight off and rejoining us next week. On this weekly broadcast, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking as it is allowed through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, along with projects and people who help combat it. We are the official educational and introductory program representing the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights Coalition. If you want to know about the new abolitionist movement, what it is and what it's about, this is officially the place to start. This is the December 20th, 2017 broadcast, five days before the Christmas holiday. On this day in 1836, President Andrew Jackson presented Congress with a treaty he negotiated with the Iowa, Sacs, Sioux, Fox, Odo, and Omaha tribes of the Missouri Territory. The treaty, which removed those tribes from their ancestral homelands to make way for white settlement epitomize racist 19th century presidential policies toward Native Americans. The agreement was just one of nearly 400 treaties, nearly always unequal, that were concluded between various tribes and the U.S. government between 1788 and 1833. In addition, <clears throat> excuse me, to our normal breakdown of current events, we're issuing a red alert today, or I'm issuing a red alert today in regards to the Convention of States. If you don't know what that is, it's imperative that you tune in tonight and you listen and find out. Our abolitionist in profile tonight is Dr. Benjamin Rush, a patriot leader who signed the Declaration of Independence and served as a Surgeon General of the Continental Army. In this segment, For Freedom's Sake, A History of Rebellion, we will remember the capture of Fort Blount on Appalachia Bay by 300 enslaved victims and native allies of 1816. 
Our rider of the 21st century Underground Railroad is Mark Denny, who just today got released. He was 17 when he was arrested. Today, he walked out of a Brooklyn courtroom a free man at the age of 46 after serving nearly 30 years for rape and robbery that prosecutors now agree he never committed. Got a question or a comment, or you just want to get in Max's or Scotty's or Layla's case about something, feel free to call us in at 866-510-9025. You can chat with us and others by logging in at uberconference.com slash Black Talk Radio Network. Once again, it's Wednesday. What's happening, Brother Scotty? Hey, what's going on, Max? Man, today, just today has just... People don't understand, Scotty. You know what I mean? And, I, and you, you know where I'm coming from. Like John knows, like Layla knows, like Hannah knows, like Yusuf knows, and, and, and Otis, and so many others know. This is something we've studied in, in detail every day. You know what I mean? Like we're digging deeper than the average person has ever dug before and putting pieces together that the average person hasn't even considered yet. It, it's, it hasn't even become a thought in their mind yet, and we've already passed that stage and building this up to find the truth of the matter. And just today, so much information coming out, so many articles, and then the red alert with the Convention of States thing. I had no idea, Scotty, that they had gotten that far. 28 out of 34 states are signed on. The last time we spoke, it was 13. 28 out of 34, so we know it's 50 states, so all they need is 34. They need 34. That's all they need is 34. They need six more states. Wow. And this is what troubles me about that, Max. And this isn't the first time that the Convention of States has been brought up on New Abolitionist Radio. But this is what concerns me. It doesn't seem to be on any other outside group's radar whatsoever. The progressives, I haven't heard any progressive YouTubers or writers even talk about this and issue any kind of alerts and post a question on do we want to be outside this convention hall with our junk in our hands or in a protest sign in the other one or do we want to see that at the table? Well, actually, I found a couple of people that have been uh, raising awareness on it, but you know, we were ahead of the curve because, like I said in the beginning, we are seeing this stuff as it occurs. You're finding out from us, you know what I mean? Like, and then from somebody who else found out from us, and like 10 people but, down the line, Max, you're hearing the key thing is, what are you talking about, 13th Amendment? You the, know, the it's, key, it's, yeah, the key it's a thing though effect. is you said you had to find it, you found. I'm saying, yes. I'm saying that. The normal channels that I'm subscribed to on YouTube, for example, Jimmy Dore has a very good YouTube channel who talks about political issues and and whatnot, and he's a progressive, and he does it in an entertaining way because he is a a comedian by by trade. Uh, Then you got the Young Turks. Uh, Then you also got the Real News, and I, you know, and then also mainstream media. I mean, what is Ann Reed and them talking about? 
uh, what's her name? Joy Ann Reed talking about. I know, um, I think Roland Martin did his last show today, and it has never been brought up to my knowledge on his program. Well, you know, I don't get up that early in the morning on a Sunday morning to watch Al Sharpton's show on MSNBC. Has he been talking about? So that's what that's what I mean, Max. Scotty, there are two names that you mentioned that I got to give credit to because they have helped in this matter. As a matter of fact, it was uh, on Rattling the Bars on the Real News Network with Eddie Conway, who was in prison himself for 40 years. That Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. He had you on. Times. Yeah, yes. that's right. So I stand corrected. And, I forgot about that interview that you did on yeah. that show. So, again, <laughs> right. the tentacles of New Abolitionist Radio, you know, pushing it. But, again, yeah. the mainstreams. The main, the people who are getting millions of ears tuning in to their radio, national radio programs, the millions of eyeballs that's glued to their television sets. Have you seen anything? I, I could be correct, incorrect in stating that this doesn't seem to be on their radar because it seems well, to me that they're too busy uh, trying to put, continuing to push this red scare, false Russia baiting nonsense. They uh, on today, or actually yesterday, on um, Roland Martin's program, he had a guest who came on and referenced the Constitutional Convention. But she did it in such a way, which you know, she said how important it was. But she was really, I think she was of a mind that I can't really explain this to all the people in this short amount of time I got. Just be aware that this is so damn important. And it's a video that I have available on our list. I also put it on New Abolitionist Radio. Um, if you want to play it, we could we could listen to let the audience uh, listeners hear what they had to say. I thought that it was very telling what she was talking about, and then how she pulled this convention of states out to say, "Look, this is like the the murder weapon right here. You need to be aware of. It's about to go down." And then kept it moving on the other topic. I thought that was pretty. Uh, Slick okay. gymnastics. I, that <laughs> is the one titled Democracy and Chains. Yes, Democracy and Chains. Okay, so, we'll, we'll uh, again, play we're that. pushing the issue and people have to talk about these things. Well, you if, know what, Max? We twenty you said twenty eight, six states away, and it's still under the radar. I don't care if Roland yeah. Martin did a little however many minute segment where they talking about solutions and we'll hear that. Or, no, or was no. there a call? For, let's say, and I'm just throwing some names out there of some well-known groups. Uh, National Action Network, are they calling for a seat at the table? The NAACP Legal Defense Fund or the NAACP? The Urban League, are any of these organizations that are supposed to represent, I'll throw La Raza in there as well, any of these Hispanic organizations, are any of these organizations making a push to have a seat at the table or are they just talking about it in passing comments with no plan except to say, hey, this is what they're doing. To me, you know, we got to have a plan, man. We got to be more proactive. I, you know, Scotty, I think we need to tell people exactly what the Convention of States is, maybe at least briefly. And also, um, we may have already passed that moment where we could have been involved. They're only six states away. It's like the last time we talked about this, there were 13 states in out of 34 they needed. Now they're at 28. 
They said they were going to finish before the year was out, and nobody believed us. But now wow. that they believe us, they see we may have already missed our chance unless something well, drastic I, I, I don't want to say miss our chance because if this is – this isn't a convention – for, if you're talking about the U.S. Constitution, that involves all of us. And if we had to kick down the freaking door, then I say let's do it. If we can get enough people to do it, like like you just said, Roland Martin just mentioned it or had it mentioned to him on his program yesterday. And we've been talking about this since May. Uh, when, when I first discovered it, what was going on, and really dug in deeper and found out how bad this was. This is a constitutional crisis of the highest order. You have this organization, which is represented through what's called conventions of states, where they're trying to attempt an Article 5 convention of states, where they can mm-hmm. go in and change the Constitution. They can make amendments. They can alter amendments. All of this can be done. Eliminate in a amendments. Because remember, now, we the, just talked last week. Well, what did Roy Moore say? We don't need nothing right. but the, what, first 10 or 11 minutes? First 10, everything after the 10th. And then he went into just some crazy-ass nonsense about how the 14th Amendment negates the first 10. It's like, well, I don't know what he's talking about, but, you know, they don't have logic that they're standing on. What they have is white supremacy. And if you go to conventionsofstates.com right now, you can look at their cover photo. There's a whole bunch of white people. These are all conservatives, uh, Tea Party, white racist supremacists, some of them, not all of them, but some of them, they fit right in. And these are the people that are about to change your constitution. We're talking about amending the 13th in order to take the exception clause out. They could just take out the whole 13th or just say, you know what? We're just going to call it slavery because that is what it is, and we're going to make it legal. I mean, anything can happen. It's called a runaway and, convention and, where some fool gets up or some crazy state at, like Alabama, and they want to present something that they believe in wholeheartedly, and everybody else is like, are you out of your mind? This could, I, I'm saying, it could possibly lead to another civil war, and I'm not trying to be sound alarmist or, or, or you know, uh, exaggerate. I mean, if they come out with some crazy stuff, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not going to abide by it, you know? And so if it comes out and it's stripping people further of their human rights under the U.N. Declaration of Human Rights, man, I could just I could just see this uh, blowing up into a, another violent conflict, man. I mean, there's violent conflict all over the globe. Uh, I think that we've been spoiled. Well, hell, there's violent conflict on this. Y'all going to soil already with the slave catcher violence and whatnot. So, uh, hey, man, I, I don't I, I just I just don't want people to underestimate uh, what could happen. I know. Remember, we were the ones who was airing the message that came out of the Iowa radio broadcaster. Uh, what was his name? The guy that was talking about uh, issuing out a uh a referendum saying that if you're in the country illegally and you're not out in 60 days, then you become property of the state through the 13th Amendment. Uh, that that video and uh, where he was on his program, he also interviewed all of these high-ranking Republican candidates during the 2016 election. These were all people he were conversing with about this particular topic and even suggesting it to who is now the President of the United States of America. How if, you know, you could create jobs for these people to do and they would be property 
assets of the United States. And the only thing they shut him down was one of his own callers who called him like, yo, the people won't go for that because it sounds too much like slavery. Right. And this dude ended with, what's wrong with slavery? <laughs> right. Yes, I remember that. But also, uh, not that Dan Mickelson. I... Not, yeah, John. Yeah, you're right. Um, not that I subscribe to what these people say, but because a lot of people idolize them because this is a nation of idolatry and but has Barack Obama said anything I know he said something about the French election uh you know because he cut a campaign ad for that guy that's currently the French president um has Hillary Clinton said anything or is she still on her book tour lying about what happened you know what I'm saying so I'm saying any other prominent so-called Democrats leftists um, you know, I know Charlie Rango been dealing with sexual harassment and, and but Chuck Schumer, um, you know, all the Democratic stars of uh, what's the one from Kamala Harris? Have any of them alarmed anyone about this? It's just like when I was listening to Tanya Free and Friends uh, talk show earlier today, and they were saying about this tax bill, this tax bill been in the works for a long time. But nobody was sounding the alarm until apparently it was too late. So I, I just want people to know those people that you think are working for you are more than likely behind the scenes working with our enemies. Yeah, we, we did what we called for back then. And even with the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights Coalition, you know, like I had intense conversations with them. I made sure it was a priority thing. Then I made sure I did my best to make sure people understood what I was talking about, that we needed to get politicians on board right now to get into this and put our 13th Amendment on the table and right. maybe talk about the 14th, 15th Amendment uh, and you really put our own issues forward towards freedom and prosperity, not only for these people who you see on their cover photos, but for everybody in this country. But at the point where we're looking at right now is basically they're going into the treasury called America and dividing the wealth without anybody else in there. Telling you what's right. right, what's wrong, what's good, and what's bad, and there's no alternative voices other than this group who let, you see let, on the cover. Let me ask you this, Max. Before, of before we play this short clip uh, from one of uh, Roland Martin's programs, Democracy in Chains, where this uh, person briefly speaks about it, are any so-called blue states signed up for this convention, or is it all red states? Well, as you've seen, I did like a, a map today as our graphic for the promotion for New right. Abolitionist Radio. And that shows you right there. But it doesn't say red or green, or red or blue. Uh, it's showing in green and orange. 28 states, which, uh, you know, basically I would say all the states that are doing it are doing it through the uh, Republican Party. Because that's who's back. So these red states, these are red states. Yes, Okay. I remember when South Carolina signed on last year, and I was like, wow, they, they just went right with it. Right. I don't think North Carolina's on there uh, because um, it got flipped to the governor is, is a Democrat, even though the legislature is controlled by Republicans. I do not think that North Carolina is one of those. Um, 
Cause I'm, I would, I would have gotten an alert about it. I'm, I'm sure the way I stay tuned in to local news and what have you. But let's go ahead well, and, and um, North North Carolina legislator rejected efforts to join the Constitutional Convention movement. Great, glad to. Uh no, that's not great. That's not great. It's not. <laughs> no, we should not have great. one, but not just with these people controlling it. Right. It's all conservatives. There's no, yes. there's no progressives, no liberals. I no hate blacks. that term. You can't see no black no faces blacks. in their picture. There might be an Asian here or there, maybe Hispanic. That a couple looks of tokens. Like, but there ain't no blacks in that photo. Yeah, a couple of tokens and, and what have you. This is, I mean, it's very troubling. So you want me to go ahead and, and roll this? Yes. Okay, let's go ahead and cue this up. Here we go. Democracy in Chains. Democracy in Chains, the deep his history of the radical right stealth plan for America, uh, really exposes really what their plans are when it comes to uh, this economy. Joining us right now is Nancy McLean, the author of the book. Nancy, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. So when we break this thing down, when you see what's happening right now in terms of even a tax bill, mm -hmm. nobody has read. They don't care. Uh, you lay out that, 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 that this is a very clear plan by the radical right. Absolutely. Absolutely. They've been figuring it out for a long time now, and they've been working in earnest for about 25 years at least, since about 1997 was a key turning point. So actually before the election of, of uh, President Obama, but he ended up getting caught in the vortex of this thing. And when you, when, you, when you look at this in terms of what this agenda is, I keep saying it's about power. It's not about principles or character. It's about power and winning. It's about power. It's also the way I've come to think about it is that it's about property supremacy. Um, and this is a cause that is really about entrenching the power of the people who are the wealthiest and the corporations over the rest of us over the long term. I don't know if we all have time for it, but they actually want to call a constitutional convention to make that happen, and they're far along that road. But it really is property supremacy, and you won't be surprised to know that that is a cause that has roots in the uh, early 19th century thinking of John C. Calhoun back in the news lately for that property supremacy that was connected to white supremacy, you know, so, so deeply in American history. Uh, so a lot of those anti-democratic ideas from the 19th century, you know, from the um, uh, South in the run-up to the Civil War are back with us now in a kind of a new uh, framework that is, is called public choice economics. Uh, Nancy, hold tight one second. I'm going to go to a break. We okay. come back with the team over our conversation of folks talking Great. about her book, Democracy in Chains. Uh, the deep history of the radical right stealth plan for America right here at News One Now TV One. More of our conversation with Nancy McLean, author of the book, Democracy in Chains, The Deep History of the Radical Rights Stealth Plan for America. Lynn McAllister. Nancy, good morning and happy holidays to you. Um, good morning. In your title, you specifically use the phrase radical right. So with that mm -hmm. said, can you talk to that, that point in time in the, in the 1990s where there seemed to be a shift from what the radical right was looking to do mm -hmm. versus what the traditional right was doing politically? 
Yeah, this this radical right, I should be clear, too, because there's obviously now the alt-right has, has, you know, the white supremacist, over-right supremacist right has gotten so much more active in the last year. But this is about the billionaire-funded radical right, uh, convened and, and sustained by the Charles Koch donor network and folks like that. So this is a very strategic, people have built multinational corporations, etc. And they were very different uh, in the 1970s. In fact, they, they considered themselves radicals. They, they sneered at the regular conservatives and understood themselves to be a radical libertarian right. So that radical libertarian right believes that government should have only three functions, and those are ensuring the rule of law to protect the rights of property in particular, uh, guaranteeing social order, and providing for the national defense. So according to this right, we should not be able to have anything like Social Security, like Medicare, like a government that that, um, has the power to, to fight or stop discrimination, like a government that cleans up our air and water, all of those things that involve tax revenues going from these unwilling, wealthy, and corporate taxpayers to other people, whether it's senior citizens' drug benefits or clean air and water, none of that is legitimate in their view. And what's so chilling about the history that I uncovered is that they're using the uh, ideas of this particular Nobel Prize winning economist uh, who worked in Virginia for most of his life to actually uh, change the political process essentially by misinformation and stealth to get to that great uh, uh, libertarian utopia that would be so dystopic for the rest of us. So with things like voter suppression, uh, um, drawing district lines in a way that make the remaining voters uh, um, uh, uh, votes irrelevant, uh, and um, all those other things. So it really is a kind of a stealth plan, and it is different from traditional conservatives. Sure, Michael. Uh, hi, Nancy. Good morning. This is Sure, Michael. Conservatives have, have been willing partners in this. So, Nancy, let me ask you, how do you reconcile if someone's listening to you right now? Uh, uh-huh. with the, you mentioned the Koch brothers specifically. Yeah. Someone were to say, well, they gave $25 million to the Frederick Douglass Foundation, or Thurgood Marshall Foundation, rather. Uh, they worked with the Obama administration on some criminal justice reform issues. How would you reconcile that uh, if someone were to make that argument in comparison to what you said their, their role is in all of this? Yeah, well, uh, Jane Mayer, the journalist who exposed the dark money trail uh, that the Kochs have, have built first, mine is more focused on the ideas and the strategy and the end game, but she uh, describes that as new Coke. It's a kind of a rebranding effort. They're trying to make themselves popular uh, by doing these things, by giving these monies. I would say be very, very wary of this. They're, they that they have been working with groups like the League of the South, which essentially revised secessionist ideas. There's a long history of people from the libertarian right sliding into the alt-right because they are so committed to these ideas, you know, of, of what used to be called social Darwinism that blame people for their situations. So uh, so these people are not the friends of African Americans. They and, never and, have been. And Nancy, let's be clear. This mm-hmm. started with Brown versus Board of Education. Yeah, that's what's so new in my work, was finding that Southern story that shows that the origins of these ideas came from Virginia, uh, while Virginia was leading the wider South in massive resistance to Brown versus Board of Education, this particular thinker, James McGill Buchanan, set to work, and he came up with a new set of ideas that basically provided a kind of scholarly imprimatur to a lot of long-standing conservative, you know, ideas on the Southern uh, conservative right, like 
like the idea that politicians just buy the votes of people with things like, you know, the right to um, uh, organize for, for, you know, um, of workers to organize the, the Social Security, Medicare. They called all that vote buying. Uh, and they played on a lot of racist tropes over the years to build an audience uh, for this idea. But basically, it's coming after everyone, including the programs that white people depend on and value. So it is really a radical cause. And its radicalism is signaled by the fact that they want to call a constitutional convention. This has not gotten enough attention, some, but not enough attention in the national news media. But they have lined up 28 of the 34 states needed to call a constitutional convention under Section 5 of the Constitution. We've never seen that in the United States since the Constitution yep. was written. That's how radical it is. And if they get that constitutional convention, right. they're coming in with 10 liberty amendments that would basically transform our society and render government inoperative for the people for the future. Folks. All right, we're going to leave it there. Yes, let's leave it there. Did you hear that? Well, Max, closed up? Man, listen. Um, she confirmed what I said. It's not getting any yeah. national media attention, okay? Um, I love the real news based out of Baltimore because of the real news and not the fake news that they bring you. <laughs> but let's be honest. Let's be honest about the reach of the real news. Let's be honest about the reach of Black Talk Radio Network. Let's be honest about the reach of any individual progressive YouTube channels. It's nothing compared to these corporate um, news media outlets because we have six corporations that control 95% of what the world sees, reads, and watches, okay? So, I mean, this, to me, is a suppression. This is a deliberate suppression. I don't believe that CNN or MSNBC or, or pick an alphabet network, I don't believe they haven't heard of this before, okay? Uh, just like I don't believe that they didn't know what was going on in Libya was going on when all these independent networks was reporting it since 2011. So, you know, then they this oh, man, this black Republican on there talking about some money they gave the third good Marshall Foundation when third good Marshall's son sits on the board of the world's largest private prison enslaver, Thurgood Marshall Jr., or the third, or whatever his freaking name Core is. Core Civic. A, a, oh, it's Core Civic now. That Thank you, Matt, yes. for, for the correction. So, you know, and then saying that, uh, what else did he say? They gave some money to, oh, they worked with Barack Obama on some criminal yes. justice reform. <laughs> what criminal justice reform? What crim? What the uh uh? We're going to reduce the one hundred to one uh cocaine sentencing disparity to eighteen to one. You know what kind of meaningful reform came out of the Obama administration? Oh, uh, hey, when he went out the door, I just mentioned this on a, a a recent broadcast of mine that when he left office, oh, he let out two hundred or so people who had been sentenced to life for nonviolent so so called drug crimes, and that was nothing but tokenism. That was nothing but sim sim uh, symbolism. Okay, why did he wait so late to say the Justice Department is no longer going to use private prison contractors? And why did he wait so late? If he'd have just announced that just in January, 
it would of six of oh sixteen instead of waiting till October, then we would have been done with the the market forces would have eliminated private prisons. So you know these people, man, they just kill me with this toll. So what? He gave some money to the third good marshal. And then she also pointed out, like in this tax bill that I pointed out today on Tanya Freeze uh, and Friends Talk Show, the people that's going to be hurt the most by this tax bill is those making $30,000 or less. You, Max, you know, you know how white the county is I live in. Do you know what the medium income is for Gaston County, North Carolina? It's only 30,000 a year. Okay? And so this is why black people, white people, Hispanics, Asians, we got to get out of this identity politics matrix that they got us trapped in. That's what Fred Hampton was trying to tell us because they don't care about none of us. Okay? And and this property supremacy sounds like uh, just open slavery to me. We're not even going to pretend through the 13th Amendment like slavery was no uh, 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 ever abolished. We're just going to outright re-implement it. Well, I just want people to be really aware this is a red alert situation. This could potentially lead to a real civil war. I mean, like, you know, they're sitting there playing ignorant right now, but when they realize that they got got, not just Partly, but these people took the entire country from you, Democrats and liberals or whatever you want to call yourself. Then you're going to be up in arms and ready to fight the kill. I'm I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> I had to do some research on this in order to do the interview. So I, I don't. I got like five or six pages that I, I went into. But let me just read a few quotes of what's happening here. Okay. First of all, Constitutional Convention is a gathering for the purpose of writing a new constitution or revising an existing constitution. Members of a Constitutional Convention, sometimes referred to as delegates to a Constitutional Convention, are often elected by popular vote. In seven, September 1786, at the Annapolis Convention, delegates from five states called for a constitutional convention in order to discuss possible improvements to the Articles of Confederation. The Constitutional Convention took place in Philadelphia on May 14, 1787. That was the last time we had a convention of states like this. Now, the ALEC affiliated balanced budget, budget amendment tax. Remember, ALEC is the American Legislative Exchange Council, which you saw on the film The 13th. So this task force, BVATF, which proffered this pledge signed by Senator Cruz, is hoping to meet the 34-state threshold by July 4th. BB, that's July 4th of 2018. BVATF is one player in an astroturf movement backed by the billionaire Koch brothers and embraced by right-wing state legislators. A balanced budget amendment has been long has been the holy grail for a long time for the right since the 1930s. In the 80s, conservatives made a push for a balanced budget constitutional convention, and 20 years later, the idea was resurrected as part of the Tea Party platform. Now, y'all know who the Tea Party is. That's when BBATF was formed to carry that movement forward, with 16 resolutions held over from a previous wave of conservative, conservative activism. BBATF has since passed resolutions in Alabama, New Hampshire, Ohio, Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, Michigan, Louisiana, South Dakota, North Dakota, Utah, 
West Virginia, bringing the total to 28. This year, BBATF is targeting 13 states, Arizona, Idaho, Kentucky, Maine, Minnesota, Montana, Oklahoma, South Carolina. They already got some of these states, too. Virginia, Washington, and West Virginia, Wisconsin, and Wyoming. In six of these states, Republicans control both legislative bodies and the governorship, making passage a real possibility and leaving BBATF one state shy of the magic number 34. Once they already predict they're going to get 33. 34. Yeah, this, is, this is very serious. And I think I also heard her mention oh, they want to go to what? 10 amendments. And isn't that what she said? Again, Roy Moore just told you that. He he told he kind of spilled the beans on on their thinking. They think just like Roy Moore, okay? Cuz he said we don't need all these other amendments. We we don't need all of this stuff about, you know, uh giving African Americans citizenship. Oh, we don't need this 15th amendment which says that uh you can't deny people the right to vote based on race and and sex and and uh a prior condition of servitude you know so all all the things man that we should be concerned about i feel like we are not concerned about you know some people look i i, I allow people for self determination but that don't mean that i got to go along or be quiet about that, which I feel is foolish in trying to pass itself off as being quote unquote woke. Okay. And just the other day I saw somebody post, what has voting ever, where has voting ever gotten us? I could flip that and say, where has voting, uh, uh, not voting ever gotten you? Look, they were lynching people and killing our people for voting. They didn't want them black soldiers who saved the Union to have the right to vote. They demanded the right to vote. That's why the 15th Amendment came about, okay? And and so they do, she mentioned voter suppression and all of this and all of that. We know all about that. All the bad stuff. Yeah. All the bad things you can imagine, including extortion and murder and, and kidnapping, you name it. So if you, <laughs> you want to know, know what not voting gets you, not participating in the political process, this is what it gets you. Because they are voting. They are using the Constitution in order to exert their will to the point that they they about to change the Constitution. And who knows what that's going to look like? Who knows what those 10 amendments going to look like? We shouldn't assume that they're going to look like the current form of the 10 amendments known as the Bill of Rights it may be something totally different. It may go back to, she mentioned Virginia, which gave us the slave codes and, and white supremacy and a codified and codified laws stripping black people of their rights. Okay? So it, hey, it, Scotty. Yes. The, to the total is one in 13 black Americans have lost their voting rights due to disenfranchisement laws. So, but but Max, it just tells me why do they go to such efforts to stop people from voting if it don't matter, man? You know, right. if it don't matter. So then these things get passed, and then we're going back to the days that we only imagine. And I, I don't think Max that people know the the true hell that non-white people, primarily black people, have been facing in this country. 
okay, that was they were facing during the black codes, during the era known as uh, Jim Crow or Reconstruction, where they were assassinating elected black politicians, okay? I don't think they know, and they take this stuff, and they take the liberties and the freedom, the, what, what little there is, and they take it for granted. And they act like, oh, uh, it, things can't get worse. Let me tell you, it can get far worse. Far worse. Um, it, it's As you just mentioned, that is exemplified in the film Manufacturing Guilt about Mumia Abu-Jamal's case. It shows exactly what they were doing during that time. And, and now, it's still the same thing now. We report on it here enough to know that they're doing the same things right now, if not worse. <sighs> It's, 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 we're living in a very troubling time right now, Max, and people need to take, take, take this time serious. All the stuff that we've been reporting, you know that slavery was never abolished, and you know, that's not enough that they got the world's largest uh, prison captives labor force in the world. No, they want more. I was just reading today about a robot that works as a security officer in Silicon Valley in San Francisco for $6 an hour. And, and they are bringing on these robots because they don't want to pay people $16 an hour. So I'm like, that's putting, that's, it was about homelessness is what, what the, um, what the piece was about. But I'm like, that's creating homelessness. All of this automation, you got Uber, people talking about Uber is helping poor people uh, get some income, Uber, light and all this. Uh, McDonald's and all all of them are turning to automation and robots to put humans out of work because they don't want to pay you so if they don't want to pay you then what do they want to do to you it's crazy man Scotty I'm, I'm looking at the people who are endorsing the convention of states and they got the usual suspects two black faces uh, of course Ben Carson when asked if he endorsed the Convention of State, Ben Carson's commented, very much so. Our founders knew that there would probably come a time when you might have to make some adjustments to the Constitution. Of course, uh, him and the other one that I saw in here is uh, Colonel Alan West, uh, two people who have really never shown a war criminal. He's a war criminal. He's people. an unindicted war criminal. That's why he got kicked out the U.S. military. War criminal and a proxy racist. Yeah, two proxy races standing right next to uh, Mike Huckabee and Sean Hannity and uh, Mark Levin and Marky, Marco Rubio. All of these different people that you know really are straight up racist. I, I just don't. So, okay. I, I don't know, Max. I, I don't know what Please. the solution going to be. If this goes through, this is the only way I see survival in us exercising some self-determination is another mass migration and non-white people, uh, people who believe in justice, whether they call themselves progressives or whatever they calling themselves, we're going to have to have a mass migration to however many states and we're going to have to control what goes on within the borders of those states to shield us from these people, man. I, I, I just don't, I don't know, man. I just don't know. Well, 
if people would ask me for any suggestions of what can you do, what can you do? Well, I would contact my local representatives. I would contact Congress. I would contact my senator. I would contact the mayor, any damn body in politics that you could contact and say, do you even know that this is going on? And if you don't, then maybe you should look at it and take a stand. It's real simple. Just contact uh, those people and light a fire under the behinds. Get, wake them up to this happening because it's going to come a point where CNN is going to be going uh, a, con- a, a convention of states is occurring today that we were not aware of. <laughs> it's going to be too late. I'm trying to tell you. You know what? I just want to make an appeal to the members of the military as a veteran. Okay? Y'all going to have to make a decision. Y'all see where this country is headed. And they don't get to do none of this if not for the barrel of your guns, okay? All right, so, I mean, it's been past time, man, for another revolution in this country, in my opinion, because it's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse, all right? And so I'm making an appeal to the members of the United States military. Why don't y'all, for a, for a, a change of pace or something, actually support some true liberty and freedom and justice for all instead of being hired thugs spreading white supremacy and slavery all over the globe. Dangerous times, bro. It's very dangerous times. So, yeah, light a fire. Light a fire under some people and wake them up and tell them, hey, <laughs> you know, First of all, did you know slavery isn't over? Okay, now let's get to the next part. Did you know that this is about to occur, even regardless of the 13th Amendment? Because like I said, a runaway convention, they could just take it out altogether and put in anything they want. And who's going to stop them? It's too late by that time in their eyes. You know, you control everything now. Everything. And like she said, Max, again, and and I just want to keep reiterating this, identity politics is not going to get us out of this. Okay, identity politics is not going to solve the problem. Somebody asked the question the other day, why was uh, the FBI COINTELPRO program so successful? Well, that is because they was able to find people who looked like those people to pretend like they were down with those people who then infiltrated and, 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 and spied and told J. Edgar Hoover, everything that they was doing and who they needed to kill and and who they needed to put in prison and, and just, you know, reveal all the plans. Identity hey, you politics know, are not going you know to get us got, out of this. Scotty, this, this is something you might not be aware of and uh, uh, listeners may not either, but you know where they got that list of people from? George Wackenhut, the founder of Wackenhut Corrections Corporation, which is now known as the GEO Group an international conglomeration of prisons so large that, as you know, G4S is the largest private employer on the entire continent of Africa. This all came from George uh, Wackenhut. He had the largest database of information on people, dossiers on people, in all of the country. i tell you, man, another thing that people need to do, and I know since the election of Trump, uh, uh, particularly I've seen reports of more black people buying guns and ammunition is, yeah, y'all need to keep stocking up, okay? Y'all need to quit to keep stock, stocking up on guns and bullets, okay? Because right now we're outgunned and 
I just, I don't put nothing past these people, man. I, I don't put nothing past them, Max. I don't want to sound like I'm going to the extreme or whatnot, but we see some extreme stuff going on in the world right now. And we want to pretend like, oh, nothing can, that won't happen here. Yes, it will. It has happened here. This this soil is soaked with the blood of our ancestors. It, it Genocide is nothing new on this continent, and it can happen again. I just shared an article from Murdoch, uh, which is titled this, From FBI Reject to Private Warlord, The Rise of George Wackenhut. Phylon Geo Group founder illustrates Bureau's reluctancy, close ties to for-profit security. Like, this guy was a part of the Department of Justice. He could walk in and out anytime he felt like it. That's how connected he was. This is what um, Otis posted in the chat room. It was founded as the Wackenhut Corporation in 1954 in Coral Gables, Florida, by George Wackenhut and three partners, all former FBI agents. All former FBI agents. That's right. All former FBI agents. And you know when it went public when its initial public offering came out under the name of the GEO Group in 1994, right along with the Clinton crime bill. At the same exact time. See, that's what and I'm saying, man. In the first four years, the stocks of that GEO Group had went to 10 times their normal value. That's what I'm saying, Max. You don't see you don't see any Democrats, no big name, brand name Democrats raising the alarm over this. They not. Because guess what? Just like during the Clinton administration, these people, man, these 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 D's and these R's, that's all for show. On on a lot of these issues, the only issue they don't agree with, agree on, is abortion. That's about it. And everything else, they seem to get along just fine. Hey, uh, thanks for those links, by the way, Otis. Appreciate it. I'm putting them up here so people can read more into de- detail on this. It really takes some some understanding. you got to put the dots together sometimes. Hopefully here on New Abolitionist Radio, myself, Scotty Layla, Otis Yusuf, and all the others who have been involved in this conversation over these years, help to bring those dots together for you to have some clarity of what you're dealing with. I'm, I'm hoping that we, we're able to do that for people. And from what I've heard, we've been doing a pretty damn good job of that and uh, even have an award so far to, uh, I guess, kind of uh, confirm it from Missouri Cure. So, Scotty, let's move on and talk about something a little bit more positive, uh, another win. Let's, let's throw a win in there because these losses be hurting, man. These losses be hurting. What I want to share with people is an article that came out of the New Orleans Advocate. And, you know, we've been talking about these debtors' prisons. And, you know, debtor prisons have also been abolished, allegedly, but we documented their return right here on New Abolitionist Radio. And uh, just recently, a lawsuit was won where poor New Orleans defendants landed a victory in debtors' prison lawsuit against the criminal court. And we've spoken about the New Orleans uh, debtors' prisons here on numerous occasions. It says, in a ruling that could rake finance, wreak financial havoc on the Orleans Parish Criminal District Court, a federal judge said Wednesday that judges there have an inherent conflict of interest in determining whether defendants can pay the fines that pad the court's budget. Finding in favor of a handful of individuals who sued the court system two years ago, just a few people were able to do this now. 
U.S. District Judge Sarah Vance declared that state judges have routinely violated the constitutional rights of defendants by jailing them after they failed to pay fines imposed for criminal convictions. Several of the plaintiffs in the case were jailed for days or longer without receiving a hearing on their ability to pay. One woman said she was arrested even though she had just given birth and was struggling to afford food. Vance said the imposition of fees and fines on defendants convicted of crimes is not itself a conflict of interest. However, she said, it becomes one when the same judges are in charge of deciding whether defendants actually can pay those fines and fees. So long as judges control and heavily rely on fines and fees revenue, the judges' education of the plaintiff's ability to pay those fines and fees off offends due process. That's what Vance wrote. It may be a month before the practical effects of the 79-page ruling become clear, but the decision could upend the user pay system that New Orleans uses to finance its criminal courts, a system that is mandated by state law. Now, I'm going to stop there because it's a pretty long article. You should read the rest of it. But that last uh, paragraph right there says it all. But the decision could upend the user pay system that New Orleans uses to finance its criminal courts, a system that is mandated by state law. So by state law, New Orleans has to pay for everything it does, including salaries and services, through the defendants themselves, the Listen. people that they're arresting. Listen, if that's not a conflict of interest. And what the hell is? Tell me, tell me a little town or city or anywhere in the United States where the tax, uh, um, yeah, we can call it a tax, the tax on the poor in 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 the form of these fines and what have you and court fees. And tell me a city or municipality that ain't funded that way, because I don't know of any. Almost all of them. We did. Ferguson is America. We showed you that this is standard practice all over America. So show me a place that isn't. Now think about this with this tax. Let's talk about this tax bill again and how it relates to this. Now, if they're cutting taxes on the wealthiest of people, to some of the analysis I had, I have heard said that it's actually going to create a bigger deficit. So since nobody's paying taxes, then guess what? More fines, more court fees, more uh, what they call that civil assets forfeiture and seizures. A lot of that going on. So I, I mean, yes, this is a a victory in that one location that they ruled against it. But this is standard practice, man. This is standard practice well, all over. You're right, but this is the first time we won a case for debtors' prisons against the city. I understand, so man. So that sets And I'm yeah, just, just kind of frustrated because I'm tired of the small victories and addressing symptoms when we just don't have the manpower and the resources that we need to address the disease. And that's slavery. We're left with treating symptoms instead of cutting out the cancer. Right. We're not going towards the core issue, but they're still going to practice it on us continuously until we do. 
Um, and it's our job here uh, to keep people aware of these things and how we can continue to fight it until the day comes when we hit critical but mass. But good job to those as a people. nation, we will no longer put up with this. Good job to all those attorneys and the people who supported the attorneys and used their resources to uh, to set a precedence in a court uh, or get this court victory. And hopefully it'll bring some relief to the people uh, that will be directly affected by this. Let me ask you this, Max. Is this in the state court of Louisiana or is this like a federal district court and it could be used as a precedence to take down uh, all these Fergusons in America? That is a federal judge that made this ruling. Okay. So what we need then is for you civil rights attorneys out there, those at the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, is to start running up on these people armed with this judge's decision. Do you know if it's been appealed, Max? It says that the judges can appeal the ruling to the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals if that fails, and if they can't find a creative way to maintain the system now in place without running afoul of Vance's decision, the judges could be forced to go begging to the city council or the legislator for money. Oh, guess what? Those are all elected positions. Don't tell me voting don't matter. Yeah, they apparently receive a million dollars a year just in fines and fees imposed on the same people. Basically, much of the money is collected from the same poor defendants who appointed public Ferguson. defenders because they can't afford private lawyers. Ferguson. That's Ferguson. That's Ferguson. Yes. That's Another all example it is. of it. It's Ferguson mm-hmm. is America. And uh, we got five minutes before our break time. And the next story that I want to put in is like, it, it fits right in here with what's going on. We just talked about New Orleans and how we've achieved a victory uh, in showing that this is a debtor's prison's which was supposedly abolished, just like slavery was supposedly abolished. Well, Alabama has been doing the same thing, but in a slightly different way. It's, it's always the same extortion going on. Mm-hmm. So Alabama has a whole town, they said, that has revolted after the mayor, the judge, prosecutor, and cops set up a scam to rip off their citizens. Yes. It's that same type of, let's finance everything with the criminals that we create. Yes. Yeah, so, so um yeah, let, let's go ahead and wanna, take an early break so we don't have to be rushing on that story. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio right here on BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. We exist through your assistance, so please be, feel free to donate. Send us in a few dollars, send us in a few million. We could change the world with a few million, and I, I'm not joking at all. I'm just saying. Make sure you tune in every week right here on BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. We'll be right back. Podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio with Scotty Reed and Max Parpus. Next week, Layla Aziz will be back with us. Uh, she's got to uh, handle some family issues today, and we miss her. Shout out to my sister. Well, here's our next story, and this comes from Raw Story. 
It says the police department of a small Alabama town was nearly was nearing bankruptcy. Okay, now remember where they're starting from. They're nearing bankruptcy due to a lack of ticket revenue, according to ALM.com. Cash strap department and city council took drastic me measures with an asset forfeiture program for those caught speeding. Now, the mayor of the city is blaming the bad press about the sketchy scheme in a seven-plaintive lawsuit for a drop in revenue. Reason reported what the department would do is impound vehicles they pulled over using the state's asset forfeiture law. It allows them to keep 100% of the items taken by police. The claim would be that there was a suspicion of drugs or anything they could come up with. That then required owners of those vehicles to pay a $500 impound fee. Right, keep it, let's break it down to the simple sentence. It's, they were stealing people's cars and telling them that, you know, you're a drug user, you're transporting drugs, at least I suspect you do, and I'm taking your car, and the only way you're going to get it back is if you give us $500 for the impound fee. The town hired officers and worked with the judge to maintain the program. Those that were hired were often dressed in camouflage that was tucked in the dark assault boots. One alleged victim was Tay Kreuzer, who lost $1,750 to the Castleberry Police Department. The 550-person town was so furious about the program, Mayor J.B. Jackson, who came up with the idea to stop and confiscate vehicles, was booted from office. A municipal court judge and prosecutor were also ousted. Police Chief Tracy Halsey was forced to resign in February. Yeah, that is a result. You don't got rid of everybody, but who's been prosecuted? That's the question. Lead attorney Richard Nix thinks more than 100 people were probably impacted by the city's program. All of the belongings and alleged drugs that were seized by police haven't been located in the investigation. The totality of cash taken estimates 5,500. He claimed that the chief didn't allow a minimal procedure requirement to perform an asset forfeiture. Well, there's more to this article. Check it out on New Abolitionist Radio. But I think you understand basically what was going on in this town in Alabama of 550 people where they decided, well, we're about to go bankrupt. How are we going to keep this town alive? I know. We'll park our cars over there by the highway, stop people, probably black people, because, you know, we don't like them black people, stop some black people and tell them, you know what? You're a drug user. You're probably trafficking drugs. And I don't care if you got any or not, it's my word against yours. And if you don't like it, come pay me $500 and I might give you your car back. I'm not going to assume and this was all black people. I'm sure it was some Hispanics and some whites as well. Um, because well, you know, it, it, you know the, yeah. the data says that that's what they've been doing state by state. As you yeah, I'm sure earlier, it's disproportionately. All these yeah, I'm sure it's disproportionately black people. But again, we got to get out of this identity politics and, and get the predominant population to see, like that lady said in Roland Martin's interview about the historical nation um, nature of these rich, wealthy people. They don't care about you, okay? They don't care about your your skin, all right? If if you stand in the way of them getting rich and wealthy and whatnot, they don't care. 
They don't care. They use race to keep us divided. All right. So I'm, I'm sure it was disproportionately, but I, I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on the fact that listen to this part of it. We hired our own district attorney and our own judge, Jackson Reveal. The revenue started to grow and we built out the police department. So, I mean, listen to that. These aren't even duly elected officials. They hired somebody to come in there and play the prosecutor. They hired somebody to be a judge. Now, do you think that a hired judge is going to be a, a, a objective arbitrator of the law? No. They even hired jackboots. <laughs> they hired dudes in jackboots with with uh, fatigue, military fatigue to help. So, you know, this is just... A, and then it mentions further down that our current U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who just announced earlier this year, you know, about uh, the federal civil uh, uh, assets forfeiture, whatever it's called. I get tongue tied on that one. But I mean, this is in Alabama where he comes from, and he's a big proponent of all this. So I don't understand the ignorance of these people, yeah, I do understand it. They get you so bought into thinking that your skin color makes you superior over other people and their skin color makes them inferior that that you don't even see that eventually when they, when they don't have enough of this certain type of people to target, they're going to come after you. These people don't care about none of us. They don't care about any of us. And I mean, I ain't never read nothing like this, Max, in all the years we've been doing new abolitionist radio. Oh, when they we rose just up and we, everybody yeah, that we out just of office. Like, you get out, you get out, you get out. Take him with you. We we just gonna hire our own DA. No, we not gonna have no elections or nothing like that. We just gonna hire a judge. I like to see what that interview uh, looked like. All right, you know, do do you believe in truth and justice and liberty for all? Yes, I do. We'll 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 call you. Don't call us. We'll call you. You know what I'm saying? Oh man, Jesus. You know, you I know, imagine this was a person like the guy Trump just tried to nominate to a judgeship who who couldn't even answer basic questions on law, but but here Trump was ready to appoint him to a federal judgeship. It's serious out here, people. It, it, it's real out here. It ain't you no fun and games. the housing bubble there, Scotty? And I was one of the people that lost a home in that housing Yes, bubble. I remember, Max. You remember during the housing bubble, how they said that they were doing it? They were buying these people's homes with their mortgages, and then they were selling them off like, you take a part, and you take a part. Pretty soon, right, it was derivatives. like people who owned your mortgage. Yeah. You know what I mean? Derivatives. And everybody had a piece of it. That's exactly how they're doing human bodies with this uh, prison industrial complex and the injustice system. Everybody's getting a little piece of that body that's in there. You know, whether it be the fees and the fines or the money that you have to pay to call up and talk to your loved ones or vice versa, the video right. conferencing. Cause you know, now they're moving towards full video conferencing. You can't even visit a person anymore, which will allow them to move your loved one from the state they were convicted in to another state with no worries and no concerns at all. They're like, you don't need to visit them. Just call them on the video. He could be on the moon for all you care. And that is just it's slavery and human trafficking. That's the human It's trafficking. that simple, Max. It's that simple. Slavery and human trafficking. Yeah. Um, 
So there's another story, Scotty. If you want to cover it for me, I, I need to just take a minute and get something real quick. And which story uh, is that? The story I put up on New Abolitionist Radio just now, Stop Squeezing Prisoners' Families for Cash. And it talks about how not only are you getting us on the outside, but once you get us inside, then you're taking little pieces off us all over the place, like the video conferencing, the phone calls, and on and on. Right. This comes to you from Bloomberg Magazine, Bloomberg.com. Uh, yes, that Michael Bloomberg owns it, but, you know, whatever. Uh, again, like I said, you got six corporations that control 95% of the media, not in this country, in the in the world. All right. So, anyway, um, I'm just waiting on their page to load up. Uh, replacing visitors' hours with costly video conferences is a short-sighted policy. I mean, hell, all they had to do was install Skype on the computer. And then the family members, if they got a smartphone or a computer, put Skype on. Hey, that's a free call. So why is it costing? So see, this is what I'm saying, man. Stuff is just obviously a scam. And we just let them get away with it. Well, they get away with it because these politicians uh, pass the laws to make it happen. All right. So get caught committing a felony and the government is apt to do terrible things to you. Stick you in a cage, control what you eat, when you sleep, what you do with your time. Should the government also be allowed to prevent you from seeing your family? Some prisons are ending face-to-face -face contact for prisoners, shunting them instead to a video calling system. This system costs $12.99 for 20 minutes. For a population that tends to start out economically disadvantaged, that's a heavy financial burden. Not to mention that you can't hold a daughter's hand, place a comforting arm around a father's shoulder, or hug your wife. Prisons, as we all know, from watching television, have a pretty significant contraband problem. Some of it brought in by visiting relatives. If you keep prisoners from mingling in person with their families, you can keep them from getting their hands on some items they shouldn't have. Well, you know what? I'm going to push back on that because on that narrative because a lot of times it's the guards that's bringing in the dope, the drugs, and all the other contraband. All right, because I see number of stories where they get busted. Of course, that doesn't necessarily make this good policy. You could probably end the scourge of littering if we simply impose the death penalty for dropping a fast food wrapper on the street. But we all recognize that this would be a disproportionately costly solution to the problem. I don't like the, the terms that this person is using. Costly? How about immoral? How about calling it immoral to execute somebody for littering? Not costly. See, again, this is Bloomberg. This is a financial magazine. And I just take issue with how she's framing this. And preventing prisoners from ever getting to touch the people they love while also preventing children of prisoners from even holding hands with their parents is a pretty high cost. But let us assume arguendo, I guess she's saying, let's assume for argument, got to use the fancy words on us, that the problem of contraband in prisons is so heinous that it justifies depriving families of the ability to touch an incarcerated loved one. How can we possibly justify charging $12.99 a pop for the video substitute? 
It's not just a problem with video conferencing. Phone calls from prisons are horrifically expensive. So often are ordinary items in the commissary and there are frequently surcharges for families to deposit outside money in those commissary accounts. Innumerable, innumerable indignant articles have been written asking the same basic question. How can we justify price gouging poor people who are already suffering through a prison term and by extension the innocent families and mostly poor also mostly poor who are already suffering separation for a family member. Let let me just jump down here. This is pretty 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 long article. Um in conclusion she says let me go to the part about the FCC, which just killed net neutrality. The FCC cracked down on phone gouging in 2015, but an appeals court reversed that decision this year. Even while call costs were capped, prisons had lots of other ways to squeeze money out of prisoners and their families. See, it's never about rehabilitation. It's not even really about punishment for crime. It's all about Profit. That's the original sin of this of this of this nation. It's slavery. Slavery is about profit and squeezing profit out of bodies. And I really do get with some elders who had said to me year, years ago about, you know, these family members are really doing doing a prison sentence with these prisoners. Okay? Yes, they are. I know we did. And so it says, and according to the post, they often engage in predatory tactics to make sure that that sweet, sweet money keeps rolling in, switching to proprietary deposit systems at the commissaries rather than letting families send prisoners money orders or ending in-person visits so that they're forced to rely on expensive video conferences. Again, Skype is free. It's free. It's free. This is both a violation of the Eighth Amendment and extortion at the same time. This, this is un- cruel and unusual punishment on the prisoners themselves, and it's extortion on the family members. I just don't know Terrible, why we man. don't have more abolitionists. <laughs> well, as husbandmen, we can see them coming into fruition. Uh, just praying for the day that there's enough of us out there to really make the impact that's necessary in the public conversation before it becomes too late. I mean, after this convention of states, anything can happen, man. One of the worst things that could happen to a nation is to have a runaway convention at a convention of states. And imagine they call it a runaway convention because people could just bring in anything and do anything and write anything. And if there's no opposition, it's not even a runaway convention. Because there ain't no opposition. There's nobody to stand there and go, That's no. That's what I'm saying. Slavery is wrong, and you can't do it. <laughs> right. And and it's like what you said earlier. You know, I'm going to bring up, and I'm not going to say it's an outright distraction, because it is dealing with important issues in terms of perception and truth versus lies. But it's like you said today, Max. In your social media posts and talking about this beef between Cornell West and uh, Tanahasi Coates. And like you said, man, I don't really care because ain't either one of them talking about the 13th Amendment did not abolish slavery, nor are they talking about abolishing slavery. Okay? Ain't neither one of them talking about that. 
They're talking about. They have done the opposite, Scotty. Yes. Both of them have done the exact opposite. What, what did your post say, Max? I, I, can you? I said, uh, you know what? Screw West and Coates. Neither one of them is talking about ending slavery, addressing the 13th Amendment, or freeing anybody. On the contrary, Coates would have you thinking that slavery ended at some point, and we can collect reparations on a crime that has not ended. And West is a tool trying to convince us that Lincoln was a hero and not a white supremacist who purposely used prisons as the new slavery system with the introduction of convict leasing as an alternative. Fuck them both. Tell them I said it. That's exactly what I said. And I'm not talking about what they might have said. I've read it and heard it out their own lips and from their own fingers. I can give you the video right now where Cornell West is praising Lincoln and talking about how he changed his mind and that made him such a great man and how slavery ended and stuttering and blah, 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 all around the 13th Amendment. The same thing can be applied to Tanishi Coates when he started talking about, oh, I'm just going to call people unfree from now on. What the hell is unfree? You can't right. say slaves because that's what they've made us. And you know it. You know as much as I do, but you're going to turn around and make up a new damn word now, huh? Unfree. That's what we are. I'll tell you. So, yeah, they're not helping me. They're hurting me because they're calling me a liar. They're calling you a liar. They're saying that we don't know what we're talking about. And here's the problem as we know. And somebody came at me kind of sideways today because um, um, I had posted that. Um, and they came at me sideways and say, I'm pretty sure that uh, West, he was talking about Cornell West. I'm pretty sure he probably was taking Cornell's, Cornell West's side in this. I ain't taking nobody's side. I'm on the side of abolitionists, okay? Uh, I ain't got a dog in this fight, okay? I'm about truth versus lies. But he going to say, I'm pretty sure that Cornell West knows that white supremacy is connected to slavery. I'm pretty sure he has mentioned it before. No, dude, I just got through watching the video. He connected every symptom to white supremacy, never mentioned slavery, not once. And I'm pretty sure I've been watching this guy for a number of years, even uh, have interviewed people close to him who were, uh, for example, Carl Dix. When him and Cornell had the little uh, uh, event up there in New York City uh, aimed at these slave catchers, but they wasn't calling them slave catchers, of course. Um, so I'm pretty sure that, no, these people ain't never made the connection to slavery. They talk about slavery in past tense and not in present tense. All this other stuff is symptoms. I know there's a whole lot of people invested in the term white supremacy. It's white supremacy this, it's white supremacy that, and white supremacy is the problem. But you're, talk, you're still talking about a symptom. I Again, I'm just not pulling stuff out my behind. I do the research. Go to Virginia. Uh, I don't know the exact year it was passed. might have been 1670. This was before the United States came to be. This was the Virginia slave colony, all right, colony of slavers, all right? And and this is when white supremacy on this continent was first introduced. That slave code said it not only regulated the behavior in the movement of victims of slavery, but it also stripped free black colonists that a lot of people want to act like never existed. All right. 
It stripped them of their rights. And Max, I actually saw a story today where a judge sent a black man to jail for punching a white man in the face who kept harassing him with racial slurs. I call that verbal terrorism. That's terrorism. Somebody run up on me calling me the, a nigger and all. I don't know you. I don't know what you got. I don't know what you might do. I don't know what your intent. You're coming at me with hostility, and I'm going to do like George Bush said, and I'm going to preemptively strike your behind. I'm not going to wait for you to stab me. I'm not going to wait for you to pull out your gun. Oh man! You've already assaulted me with your words. Now, and you so, know y'all listening out there and you want to call in right now after he done said that. I'm going to preemptively strike you behind. <laughs> I'm serious, Max. That's the way I was raised, man. I, I'm telling you. That's how my that's how my mama raised me. You know what I'm saying? And so, but, but what I'm saying it, is, well, okay, we'll go to that caller. Let me finish, though. But also, in that slave code, it's told free black people that you couldn't have firearms no more. You can't carry firearms. And if a black, if a white person strike you, you can't strike them back. I ain't, hey, I have shared the text of those Virginia slave codes in the past all over social media. So yes, white supremacy is a problem, but just like policing for profit, just like private prisons, just like anything else you want to name, a corruption in, in the in the criminal justice system, uh, uh, prison, all of these are symptoms, okay? They're symptoms of slavery. And this is well documented. This is not my opinion. I, I'm not sharing opinion. I got plenty of opinions, but this is a fact. All of these, all of these different uh what we might call avenues, streets, or roads, all intersect at the intersection of slavery and, and like Max said we ain't heard none of either one of those two talking about it there's a quote from Tennessee quotes or at least from the Atlantic in one of his articles black alarm about crime raises doubts about coach's second theory that the carceral state was a new system of control of black people according to this line of thinking the reason Americans started putting more people in jail circa 1975, quote-unquote, mass incarceration wasn't mass, quote-unquote, for years after it started. What, what uh, that was that they wanted to perpetuate a racial caste system, or as Coates puts it, to keep blacks unfree. See, unfree. See. Like, seriously, dude, you said that with a straight face? Unfree. Wow. Unfree. To create a caste system. That's called slavery, dude. I know, man. man. Um, let's go to the phone. Shout out to my man Jonesy Stark. Yeah, let's, let's go <laughs> to the phone lines, Max. We got L.A. Ramon, a abolitionist up, on the line. What's going on, L.A.? What's up, man? What's up? How y'all doing tonight? Yo, we on fire tonight. We ain't playing. We are not playing. Man, we just need a red alert, man. <laughs> Y'all ain't let, hey, look, the Scotty is not letting nobody in on this conversation. <laughs> y'all got to do this conversation, man. <laughs> and y'all doing an excellent job with it. You did just, I, I wanted to just listen and keep getting educated. Um, <laughs> but that article Scotty read just really kind of made me laugh because Scotty, as much as he, he was pushing to say, I don't like her verdict, her vernacular, I think she did an excellent job in showing us exactly what slavery looks like on the stock market. All those terminologies, 
that's a good way to read that that article. Although I, I think it's tasteful myself, I agree with Scotty. But hey, that's what we need—the brutal truth, so we can find out what we're dealing with. And that—that's one of the—that that was a pretty crazy article, Scotty. The Tony Hoxie coach thing. I think um, just hearing. I don't know if the man said it. I'm just going to read the article um, header. The one where he said Obama's presidency was the most, I, I think he's to the fact that it was the most successful or richest years for black people or something like that. Here's what I think about somebody making a statement like that in his position and being held as high as he is in, on a public, a national public platform. It tells me he has not been reading, researching, or he's in cahoots because for somebody to get these type of accolades he's getting, how much reading and researching does he do? And if he's going to put that type of statement out there, that's a large, heavy statement, you know, to, to hold that type of burden on his shoulders because I don't understand how he can say APAC, car sellers, Barack Obama and all them, you know, supporting um, Israel with these bombings and carrying on. I don't get what he's talking about. That's what I'm trying to say. So it just tells me the, the brother might be more of a celebrity figure. Hey, hold, up, Ramon, figure hey, Ramon, hold up for a second. If somebody's out there who's unmuted themselves, you're causing an echo. There might be my line, Max. Sometimes uh, that's my line to do that. And um, I'll mute oh, right. my, I'll mute myself, and when I have a comment, but I do want to mention the L.A. L.A. Did I hear you correctly that you read that during the Obama years that was what the one of the most prosperous periods in America? Or could you say that again, please? Yes, that's uh that's what they. When I was reading the article, um, well, I was getting ready to. I didn't read the article. I read the, the article header. It said Tanahasi Cole quoted says that the eight years of Obama was the most prosperous time for America, particularly Black people, and it caught my attention. So I was like, it, I'm like, if he's quoted saying that, that that tells me this man has not he's read out of touch. anything about yeah. Barack Obama. He's out of touch, and he's also out of touch with the fact that the the 2008 financial crash, like like Max was just talking about, he was one of those that lost his home. And these financial derivatives, they, black folks' wealth was, they lost, I heard, I hear Roland Martin talking about it uh, several times about how much black wealth was lost. So, I, you know, I know he got some money for some, from some white folks to the point that he can move to Paris. Ain't that where he lives now in France? Didn't he get a large sum of money from these white folks? So, yeah, people like him was doing good, but the vast majority of black folks lost a whole lot of their wealth, if I recall the Obama years correctly. That's exactly how I remember it. I've been in business 16 years, and I had to go through that situation where I ended up working two jobs, my business and electrical at the same time. So that's a fact. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> and I know that's a fact. That's my problem with his statement is he's talking like that. I don't really catch that guy a lot, but I've caught a couple of CNN, you know, features or something like that. And I can honestly say I haven't resonated with the man. And I don't hear him talking in anything that would tell me that he understands the movement that we're here talking about today. Um, 
So I, I, I don't see kind of hockey coach as somebody that I think he's being forced fed on that. Me and um, Scotty passed that about in a post on BTR community. I just think the man is just being forced fed on. And with Cornell West, you know, with me, I, I take the approach with Cornell West. I respect him and who he's, what he's trying to accomplish, you know, but I think he's an old remnant and it's just time to say, if you're going to continue that with this, we're brothers and sisters with murders and sociopaths. I don't want to claim that. I'm being honest. And I don't even want to have to explain myself about that. But I wanted to ask you guys a question about um, how can we help being in a, you know, a satellite type of scenario for people here in my town that might be interested in getting some type of uh, manifesto or mission statement, you know, kind of like a letterhead or a news newspaper or something you guys could kind of maybe put out online as a PDF and we could just download, print them out and start kind of, you know, let this, have you guys present it the way y'all see it should be said? Because well, you know, this subject, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. We ha if we had some volunteers who have the ability to create such a product, like uh, maybe a blog with videos or a magazine of some sort, that would be great. Uh, we provide more than enough content, not only for myself, but Scotty and the other abolitionists in the movement that could keep you going on a regular basis so people can get this full perspective from many voices. And I, I hear where you're coming from, and I, I agree. It should be out, out there. Maybe somebody would be willing to volunteer their time to lead a team to create a monthly magazine that we could distribute digitally, which can also be downloaded and printed out physically. I, I that would be really say, nice. Exactly. I, I would and say then we that, can take and distribute it locally. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, I have a Mad Mimi account. It's only $10 a month. And, I mean, I can increase that as more people subscribe to a newsletter. But I, I would just make sure that it's like a one-page newsletter, you know, hitting some highlights, some important stories like Max was talking about exactly. that court case and whatnot. All the points that you yeah. need to pull them in. Yeah, and then put that in a newsletter form that could be read online and also printed out. But you gave me an ideal. It's not a new ideal, so I, I don't want people to think that, hey, I'm coming up with something new. But when you said, our, our, what can we do? to set up sort of like a satellite, the first thing that came to my mind was localized abolitionist meetings. Uh, if you got a public library, pick a day out of the month to where you will be there to, to possibly discuss the contents of that newsletter. Or listen to an episode, download the MP3, listen to an episode of New Abolitionist Radio and building out a, a building hey, a local abolitionist movement. I mean, excuse in the me. Early, yeah. In the early organizing of the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March, that's what Crystal Roundtree used to do with her team. They would sit and listen to new abolitionist radio, and it would give them insights and understandings and add to their already uh, formidable knowledge base on what they needed to do. So they, they used to do that every week, sit and listen to us talk while they were forming up these well, ideas of what to do. And this is what the, well, the what um, to... um, L.A., this is what... We have read about in the abolitionist movement of our, our predecessors. They had these little localized meetings. If it wasn't but four or five people sitting and talking about, hey, how are we going to end slavery? And, you know, uh, so I think that's a great idea. Uh, I don't know if that was exactly what, what you had in mind, but I, you know, I will be, 
that's yeah. it. Yeah, because you could have a discussion of your own afterwards, you know what I mean? I mean? You could get involved in the conversation with us, call in from all over the country. There could be groups like one person call up, have a question or add a comment. So, or you could just have conversations so, amongst yourself for your local uh, instances afterwards. So, Max, let me ask you and Scotty this, because this has been on my mind a while, and I've been trying to get in touch with this gentleman. Um, he owns the, day, the Daily Camera, and it's a pretty popular uh, uh, online magazine here in Colorado. They cover mostly northern Colorado, like Boulder and Larimer and stuff. But that guy, it, I mean, it, this small little group, and I forgot to get their name. I'm going to send it back to y'all, that created that um, 13th Amendment Exception Clause removal here in Colorado. Remember that? We Amendment had Amendment T, yes. Man, what can we do to get that guy? I've been trying to get, get a hold to him because I'm like, whatever they did to get that on the ballot, they obviously moved some people. I mean, they have some influence is what I'm saying. That's a, a base we got to try to look at saying, hey, man, are y'all ready? I wouldn't. But what I found out is the guy retired. That's what it is. He went and ran his magazine. So I'm going to shut up. But I just wanted to throw that at y'all because I really want us to think about that because I was like, that guy should be involved with Scotty them right now. Hey, hey you're, L.A. You're absolutely right. L.A., I don't think it's so much that he had influence. I think that that was a grassroots effort. And people turned out to vote yeah. because it was a ballot initiative. Well, I read on it, Scotty. I read on it, and I, I seen what they did. So what I'm saying is it's not that I'm giving him the credit. What I'm saying is he and a, a couple of other people, particularly another lady, were able to rouse up about one hundred fifty dollars to $200,000 just between them two. Okay, I got you. The I got you. Yeah, I understand That's what, what you're saying. We can help you guys out with because obviously it, they were serious about it to raise that type of money. They even had banks. Matter of fact, uh, Colorado National Bank helped fund some of that amendment. You know, Why the banker would want to fund that? I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, I'm just saying this got to be something that maybe we could throw around, kick with each other offline. Yeah, that, this is line. something I don't want to discuss on air. But I've had this ideal before, and it kind of goes along with what you're talking about. Um, so, yeah, that's something that we can discuss off offline. But if I'm not mistaken, Max, if you will remind me, it, it, I'm not sure if it was Sister Layla or if it was some other people who, who, you know, call in to the program from time to time. But it seems like we have some people in the new abolitionist movement who are working towards these, uh, you know, ballot initiatives and removing the exception clause from the state constitutions. And am, am I remember correctly? Yes, yeah, yes, you remember correctly. That person would be me. Um, and one of the recent meetings with the grassroots organizations, uh, we were all asked, you know, what would we like to try to accomplish? And one of the things that I felt would be our next step in the movement is to commit to a multi-pronged attack on several states simultaneously, just as they did in Colorado with Amendment T, to include those people who had already done it before but failed to do it again in another voter initiative going after six to ten states all in one voting season. And uh, there's a website on Facebook. There's a page called Amending the Exceptions State Constitutions that we set up where we're already asking for volunteers from various states 
to participate and we'll be reaching out to not only the brother that you was talking about that did the amendment tea, but also the people that work with him as well as uh, people like uh, Senator Lena Taylor out in Wisconsin who has called for an amendment change to the exception clause in her state constitution and uh, several other states legislators who are already on board. The only thing that has been putting it, uh, putting a hold on it is me, like literally because I'm in transition of our, our living conditions and where we're at and where we're going. I haven't been able to focus on it as I like to. I might even need to push it off or give it to someone else to be able to pull it together. But yes, that is on our radar. It is on our list of things to do, and it is a priority. But not just one state, like you said, in Colorado, but to do six to ten states simultaneously. This will allow a nationwide conversation on this issue, not just in one state, but all across America. People will have the opportunity to present their case as to why your state has an exception clause and why your state should have it removed. Matt, got it. Yes. Before I go, I, I appreciate that, and I want to take part in that. And like I said, man, if y'all got, we can talk offline about that and, and what I can do to try to help make some contact. Let, let's talk about it. Let's talk want- about it in, ab- in the abolitionist group and BTR community. And another thing, Scotty and Max, would you guys do me a favor? I, I, I actually post, uh, tagged y'all in the community with a couple of gentlemen that I was uh, submitting to the abolitionist community, um, particularly Barney L. Ford um, and Henry, yes. Henry O. Wagner. Man, I, I put that up there for y'all because I, if y'all don't mind, man, I'd love to ha- have them added to the wall of abolitionists that died, you know, doing this and pioneering. Because mm. those two men specifically, Barney L. Ford, if Colorado, if no, matter of fact, Colorado, black people here in Colorado have to give Barney Ford nothing more than a bowing respect. Barney Ford. Because he fought off Theodore Roosevelt, and they were friends. Or he managed to get Theodore Roosevelt to respect him on the level as a man. Here in Denver, Colorado, Breckenridge, Colorado, and many other places, he's established and pioneered the city. He didn't come be a part. He pioneered the city. So what I'm saying about Barney Ford is what I love about him, he's my hero. One reason is that man stopped Colorado from getting statehood the whole time he was alive. It only happened after he died. That's why I respect him so much. Wow. Demanded human rights. But everybody, specifically us, thank y'all. Thank you, brother, for adding that uh, flavor to this week's conversation and bringing those insights about. And I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to tell people what was going on with the amending of the exception clauses in the statewide efforts, too. Yes, uh, thank if we you, can LA. Get together, like Scotty said, off of this program and talk about what can be done not only locally but also to help the national movement, that would be a good thing. I would suggest participating also in the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights Conference calls that happen every month. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be getting to our final segments for the evening. We'll be right back after these messages.
Black Talk Radio since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. We're about to get into our final segments of the evening. But before that, I would like to do a, uh, just share a few stories really quickly as I try to squeeze them in every week at the end of the program. We never have enough time. So uh, we could we really, based on just this, uh, that would be awesome with different people, different hours. But anyway, let me throw these stories out there. We're five days away from Christmas. So let's give some Christmas stories, all right? Uh, Christmas story number one would be from John Legend. He has visited Sesame Street to talk about kids with incarcerated parents. Some of the saddest stuff I've, I've probably ever seen is to see John Legend there with Muppets trying to explain how children who have lost their parents to incarceration feel. and It's just amazing. The other thing is uh, there's a new toy in town, and it's a toy from... Uh, Disgusting. Here. Very yeah, disgusting. It's, it's, it's the new toy. It includes Lego and uh, Playmobil. And what it is is a police station complete with prisoners and a prison and guns and whips and chains and, and cells and all of that. And they even have a little video that's geared towards children, like four-year-old children, to tell them how much fun it is to play with this police station in prison and prison breaks and, you know, uh, it's just terrible. It's a terrible thing. It's on New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, the other story is an elderly woman, I believe she's 93 years old, out in uh, Eustis, Florida, was recently jailed because she wouldn't leave her house that she was evicted from. So instead, the police no, came she down was and in, rather no, than trying no, to Max, raise money. Max, she, uh, was, she was in an assisted living facility. Uh, you know, a old folks home as they call it. Yes. Um, and and she fell behind in I guess the rent. So she wasn't in her own home. She was in an assisted living facility. Ninety three years old. What's she gonna do? Go out and get a job to pay you? <laughs> you know. And instead of the police trying to raise funds as police sometimes do, just to make sure that this woman has a home for the rest of her life, which shouldn't be that long, mind you. I mean, you can raise money for some little kid that was going around calling black children nigger, but you can't raise money for this 93-year-old woman who was evicted, then put in jail, and then had to sit there in handcuffs and talk to her lawyer. It's a terrible thing to see in this country that calls itself civilized. Uh, so that's the other story that I want to share. And I want to give a big shout-out to our brother Christopher Irvin out in Baltimore, who just recently had the opportunity to discuss uh, collateral consequences and modern day slavery before, before members of the uh, members of the Legislative Black Caucus of Maryland. And uh, he really laid it on the line. There. So big shout out to our brother Christopher Irvin. And Baltimore big Chris, Maryland. big Chris. Yes, sir. Well, Scotty, did you, uh, is there any one of these stories that you want, or rather these final segments that you want to do in particular? You know, we have the uh, the rider is amazing. The rider will make your heart smile, especially in Christmas, just realizing that the dude just walked out today, December 20th. <laughs> I, I will go with the, and I'm sorry, Max, I forget these names sometimes of our various segments, but the history in rebellion. I'll, I'll take that one. 
Okay, no doubt. Uh, well, Scotty, if, if you want to start with that, uh, or should I start with something else? I'll, I'll go ahead and start with that. And okay. we, we're talking about, uh, make sure I got the right one, Fort Blunt, 1816. Yes, sir. This is for freedom's sake, a history of rebellion. All right. For freedom's sake and a history of rebellion, 300 victims of slavery held Fort Blunt on Apollocola Bay, Florida, for several days before being attacked by U.S. troops. Earlier, under the command of a victim of slavery by the name of Garson and a Choctaw Indian chief named Unknown, the inhabitants, the Negro inhabitants of the fort launched raids into Georgia. This made the fort a threat to slavery in Georgia. Fort Blount had to be destroyed. Victims of slavery were coming to the fort from the Mississippi Territory and from Tennessee. So the fort was attacked. I thought I read about this before. I knew Andrew Jackson had a hand in this. So the fort was attacked by a professional U.S. military force, sound like mercenaries to me, under the command of General Andrew Jackson. British soldiers from the War of 1812 left a well-stocked Fort Blount to their allies, Choctaw Indians and victims of slavery. The victims of slavery and Indians put up a good fight for three or four days, but they were up against battle-hardened troops. The fort was burnt to the ground. The leader, Garson, was caught and hung. The Choctaw, Choctaw Indian was scalped. Throughout my childhood school years, I always read in my history books that victims of slavery were happy, always dancing and singing. We know now that the victims of slavery fought back and would rather die in most cases than be a slave. And New Abolitionist Radio salutes the freedom fighters of Fort Blount. Salute, brother. Um... No doubt. Well, I'm going to pull up our abolitionists and profiles as quickly as I can get it to load here. I was uh, putting up the article that you just read there. Yeah, well while while the, you do that, I just want to let the listeners of Black Talk Radio know uh, we do have um, another program coming on. Mind, Body, and Spirit returns to the airwaves tonight. So make sure y'all stay tuned for that. I may have to reset. Well, I know I will have to reset the chat room so please call back in um stay tuned for mind body and spirit our abolitionist in profile tonight is dr benjamin rush a patriot leader who signed the declaration of independence and served as surgeon general of the continental army the most prominent american physician of the late 18th century dr benjamin rush was also a patriot leader who signed the declaration of independence his interest in abolitionism began in the early 1770s when fellow Philadelphian Anthony Benezet inspired him to pen a critique of slavery titled An Address to the Inhabitants of the British Settlements in America Upon Slavekeeping. Approaching the subject with a scientist's eye, Rush stressed that blacks had the same natural intelligence as their white counterparts and that education and emancipation were needed to undo the damage done by slavery. When the American Revolution ended, Rush was among the many patriots who believed the principles of the New Republic left no room for slavery. It would be useless for us to denounce this servitude to which the Parliament of Great Britain wishes to reduce us, he once wrote, while we continue to keep our fellow creatures in slavery just because their color is different. He joined 
the Pennsylvania Abolitionist Society in 1780s, serving first as its secretary and then as, as its president, and later made arrangements to free his one lone slave. Rush took steps to lift up Philadelphia's free black community, including raising money for African churches and enlisting the help of black nurses during a 1793 yellow fever epidemic. And we here at New Abolitionist Radio salute you, Benjamin Rush. Doctor salute, Benjamin. Salute, Doc. Yes, sir, man. Well, all right, we saved the best for last, man, because, you know, we the next time we're going to talk, it'll be after the Christmas holidays, so let's have something worth celebrating, and this is a beautiful story to hear. Uh, the, it's horrible what he had to go through, but to know that sometimes we, we do get freedom, that's why we have an Underground Railroad. Uh, that's why there's organizations like the Innocence Project, because there are people who need to get their freedom, a lot of them, and they're so uh, overwhelmed with how many there are. But today... Brooklyn man exonerated after nearly three decades in prison, declared actually innocent by Brooklyn DA Conviction Review Unit. Innocence Project client Mark Denny was incarcerated since he was 17 years old after being misidentified in a 1987 rape robbery. Uh, today, Mark Denny, who was just 17 when he was arrested, walked out of a Brooklyn courtroom a free man at the age of 46. After serving nearly 30 years for a rape and robbery that prosecutors now agree he didn't commit, after unsuccessful attempts to locate evidence that could be submitted for DNA testing, the Innocence Project brought the case to the attention of Kings County Brooklyn District Attorney's Conviction Review Unit, which thoroughly investigated a 1987 Brooklyn robbery and rape in which four young men were charged with raping and robbing two store clerks at a Burger King after hours. After concluding that the three... After concluding that the three other men charged were the sole perpetrators of the crime, but that Denny had no involvement, the Kings County District Attorney's Office moved to vacate and dismissed Denny's conviction and joined the Innocence Project in asking to have Denny freed from prison. Denny's release is the first exoneration by the Kings County District Attorney's Conviction Review Unit since Eric Gonzalez who became acting district attorney in 2016 after the death of Ken Thompson, rest in peace, brother, was yes. elected district attorney in November. In addition to his Kings County rape robbery case, Denny was also convicted of two other crimes in other New York counties, all of which have now been dismissed. Six days after his 1989 Brooklyn conviction, Denny reluctantly took a plea to a one-year sentence for possession of a weapon in a Manhattan, New York County, after police found a gun in a car in which he was a passenger. Despite maintaining his innocence, the following year in Chimun County, Elmira, Denny was charged with unlawful possession, a razor blade as a prison inmate, and he pled not guilty and went to trial. But after learning of the Brooklyn DA's innocence findings, New York County District Attorney Cy Vance and Chimun County DA Whedon Wetmore agreed to dismiss those cases as well. Their actions meant that Denny leaves prison with no convictions on his record and was the first case when he was as was the first case when he was wrongly arrested at age 17 and we here at new abolitionist radio want to say welcome to freedom brother den welcome to freedom and please read the rest of this because this is a very long article you want me to okay no 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 i'm I'm telling the listeners because i'm sure you're going to post it to our yes. new abolitionist radio page and it's already posted 
in the yeah. abolitionist group in BTR community. So please read the rest of it because there's a lot of more information uh, there. At one time, they were talk- he was looking at being deported because apparently he is not um, a citizen of the United States. And so while he was even in prison, they were talking about deporting him. But uh, thankfully, the right people... Uh, involved at ICE have backed off of that and said they will not oppose his request to reopen his removal proceedings so that he can seek full citizenship and remain in the United States with his family. Uh, They also do not intend to detain or deport him while the federal government is considering his request. Um, And the other thing, uh, Max, is um, I thought that, you know, when it kept saying Brooklyn, Brooklyn, you know, I was like, Ken, that's Ken's, that's Ken, Ken. Thompson, yeah. yeah, that's Ken's district, man, that brother, you know, he, he died from cancer uh, recently, and, and Ken was elected, okay, mm-hmm. so again, you know, um, I, I, I'm keeping an eye on this newly elected um, DA up there in Philadelphia, and hopefully, he may facilitate some actions that one day we might be featuring Mumia Abu Jamal um, on the Underground Railroad of the 21st century. So um, I just hmm. wanted to add that. Thank you. Imagine that, man. That would be like beautiful to witness the uh, Mumia get his freedom in our lifetime. That would be that would be beautiful. All right. Well, we're coming up on the end of our our program here. Uh, Scotty, we've got uh, about five minutes or so. If you want to start us out, anything in particular we missed that you might want to cover or any final comments for the evening? Um, Like you say every week, Max, there's just far too many of these cases. And that's just really, really sad, sad. And we try to share as many as possible on the airways, but it's just not possible for us to do that. So if you're a member of the btrcommunity.com, which was established by the Black Talk Media Project, you'll find these stories posted there. Uh, also, if you're on Facebook, uh, follow New Abolitionist Radio's Facebook page or join the Move to Abolish 21st Century Slavery uh, group that's there on that platform so it's just so much and I just I, you know I, I came in with a really bad attitude because um, I'm so sick and tired of just treating symptoms and I, I'm just ready for slavery to end like yesterday and so you know I just want to apologize for being such a pessimist Um, Because those people down there in New Orleans that won that case put in a lot of hard work and they deserve to be applauded for that. So I applaud you and salute you, Max. Um, Thank you, Scotty. Uh, I feel the same way, man. Applaud and salute. I would like to uh, give a shout out to my brother, Ricky Kidd. Ricky Kidd has been incarcerated now for a couple of decades, wrongfully convicted, his case, which is being handled uh, now, much like uh, the Innocence Project just did with Denny, uh, has been put off over and over and over again because they simply don't want to let this brother go. But we were blessed to help him bring a dream into reality by publishing his book. It's titled Vivid Expressions, A Journey Inside the Mind of the Innocent, and it's available at Amazon.com and all major book uh, purchasing areas online published by Prismatic Dreams. And uh, for those that don't know, in March of 1997, Ricky Kidd was wrongfully 
convicted and sentenced to life without the possibility of parole in one of Missouri's notorious maximum security prisons. The awful crime he was accused of was first-degree murder. Even more awful was knowing that he was innocent but still being sent to this place made for the guilty. He's been fighting this for 20 years, and even the prosecuting uh, district attorney uh, has said that the man is innocent. The mayor has said the man is innocent, but they're still keeping him in prison. If you want to help him to be able to keep his case going so he can finally get, get out, go to Amazon.com and put in Vivid Expressions, A Journey Inside the Mind of the Innocent, Ricky Kidd. Shout out to Ricky Kidd. Um, I guess the other thing that I wanted to say is also uh, keeping it real simple. And that's if you ever have a disagreement with me and you're like, you know what, Max, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. I, I feel otherwise. Pick up the phone and call. You know, I, I'm open. <laughs> I'm open to discussing things publicly so we could get on the same page because it's important that we get on the same page. We need to be the fists that Malcolm told us we could be instead of the fingers pointing at each other. So let's get on the same page and let's clear the airwaves. I'm about ending slavery. I don't know what you're talking about out there. Please get on board with this. And remember, abolition is a reason for a revolution. So we can finally know some peace. Peace. Merry Christmas. Rise up, 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 showtime. Just lift your eyes up. Let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff, porn, and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up, when famine